Science and Technology. I'm your co-host, Emily Shock, And I'm Zachary Shock, your co-host, husband, and number one fan of Emily. Aww. Mm. We're the worst. With the job change, with the move, there was a lot going on. Yeah, and it is not necessarily over, uh, so <laughs> we are sorry. We are very sorry. We are working on it. And we're going to at least try to get you mini-sodes on our normal Wednesdays. At the very at least. At the very least. And then hopefully someday soon we'll be able to, like, get a stockpile of recordings up. Yes. So we can just put them up. But for now, we're sorry. We love you. Let's learn about an awesome person. And who's that? This week we are going to learn about... dun dun dun, dun Hildegard of Bingen. Hildegard von Bingen... Hildegard von Bingen. I bet she's from Bingen. Nope. I got nothing. (laughs) So today we're going to learn about St. Hildegard of Bingen, prolific composer and scientist. And let's just dive right in, shall we? All right. All right, Hildegard. She was born sometime around 1098. We say, okay, disclosure here. 99% of what we know about her is from her Vita, which is like her official saint biography, and a lot of it is nonsense, (laughs) because it was, you know, supposed to make people excited and... What's some good stuff from it? Some good funny bits. I'm not going to go there. (laughs) You know the Catholic saints and all their bits. All their funny, funny bits. Anyway... (laughs) So we won't have as much biographical information on her as we usually have for steampunks, just because 1098 was a long time ago. But one quirky thing is that she liked to say she was born in 1100 because she preferred round numbers. So one of those scientists. Who knows? But (laughs) this is one of the records we do have, and she was definitely born in 1098. Her parents were nobles, uh, Mechthild of Merchheim-Nahet and Hildebert of Bermersheim. I wasn't as good of German as the others, but we're going to keep it. <laughs> she was their tenth child. Okay. Middle Ages, man. And Catholic. Middle Ages, Catholic, lots of kids. She She was the youngest, and she was pretty sickly. And the thing she's most famous for are her visions that she had, and she claimed that they started when she was as young as five. Cool. So maybe because of these visions, or maybe because of, like, political reasons, like, you know, we promise our tenth child to the church, something like that. Yeah. Uh, She was given to a monastery at the age of eight, they think. In her vita... (laughs) I know. In her vita, it says that she was professed to the monastery at age eight, Alongside okay. her, she had like a an older woman who cared for her and taught her in the monastery, and okay. they were professed at the same time. 
But the reason of, for the confusion is that we know this woman's name was Judda. We know for sure that she was professed All Saints Day of 1112. So Hildegard would have been 14. Okay. So yeah. some some people are saying that maybe she was given to the monastery at eight and then just like didn't take her vows or whatever until she for was 14. For years, yeah. So Judda and Hildegard were in this monastery together, Judda taking her under her wing, along with a lot of other nuns. And so they sort of created this community of women alongside this male monastery. Okay. They all came together and they learned and they taught each other and they looked into medicine and they looked into different charity works, you know, just a, your classic Benedictine nuns. Yeah. <laughs> the real party place. <laughs> Hildegard's lessons and just goings on when she was, you know, 8 to 14, they recited psalms together, they worked in the garden, they tended to the sick a lot because that was very nun action to do. That was one of the things you did. And she even learned how to play instruments like a psaltery. Do you know what a psaltery is? When you punch somebody on the street, uh... If you... A psaltery. It's a mixture of battery and assault. (laughs) Uh, no. (laughs) A psaltery is sort of like a like a harp kind of like a zither okay <laughs> and she was taught this by a monk named volmar he taught her a lot of stuff when he was younger and later on after her visions were like professed as true by the pope and all that he came on as her secretary to help her write it all down so did the Pope just, like, also see her visions or just, like, go inception inside her dreams? <laughs> no, I was like, these like, are true. The way it goes is, like, she had to, like, describe them to him and and he would pray on it and she would... There, okay, there was one thing where... Um, my next note here is that in 1136, Judda died and Hildegard took over the community. Mm. And she wanted to move it to Rupertsberg. And the main monk was like, no, you have to stay here. And so she was like, God told me to move it to Rupertsburg. And he's like, too bad, you have to stay here. (laughs) So she came down with an illness where she could not move. She was totally paralyzed. And she was like, God's mad that I'm not doing what he told me to do. (laughs) And the monk didn't believe her, but then he went and tried to move her and he couldn't do it. He's like, oh, dang. (laughs) So he let her go. And Real committed to the bit. Super committed. She, um, so she started her first nunnery at Rupertsberg, which is a cliff in Bingen am Rhein. Ooh. So Hildegard of Bingen. That's where that came from. To answer your first question from many minutes ago. Awesome. So here's where Volmar became her secretary, and they spent... The rest of his life just sort of working together. Doing maths. Doing maths, doing musics, doing visions. <laughs> she also knew how to write. He was just sort of like to help her because there was a lot to write down. <laughs> she did a whole lot of things in her life. The The things she is most known for are her visions, which are outside of the scope of steampunks. <laughs> <laughs> Go read some books about her if you want to learn more about that. 
Um, but she also wrote a couple of huge scientific texts as well as a whole heck of a lot of music. And okay. I'm just going to mention here, she lived until 1179. She was 82. And oh, wow. Yeah. So she had a lot of time to do a lot of stuff. That's old for the Middle That's Ages. very old. Dang. So, but we're going to talk about her work, particularly particularly the music and the scientific texts. All right. So her music in particular, a lot of music, 70 works that we know about. And oh, they wow. are all original poetic text that we still have. And at least four other texts are known. We just can't find the music for them. Now, not to belittle her work, maybe, or whatever, but, like, how do we know that it was just her making all of those, or is it just I mean, I guess kind we, of assumed? I guess we don't, but it's probably all her handwriting. True. This okay. was before. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was, yeah. like, maybe the nunnery there worked together. I don't know. It's at least attributed to her. But that is by far one of the largest repertoires for a medieval composer. Of any gender. Yeah. But like, dang. Her most known musical work is called Ordo Virtutum, the play of the virtues. Uh, composed in 1151, it's a morality play. Do you remember morality plays? Well, they uh, had some music. Uh -huh. Probably taught a bit about morals. Dang, boy, you got it. Uh, and they play the instruments. Mm-hmm. You know what? That was so good, I'm going to explain it again. <laughs> uh, morality plays were a big medieval time killer kind of thing. It's what you went to see. It was... And actually, Ordo Virtutum is one of the earliest ones by like a century. Oh, wow. So she really got it going. Uh, a morality play is... The story of it is normally an allegory where... The protagonist meets up with a bunch of various people who symbolize some kind of virtue or some kind of sin, and then they have to choose between if they want to be good or bad. So I'm guessing there was a lot of choosing sin in her play? Actually, <laughs> oh, no. no. <laughs> good. Um... <laughs> On top of being one of the earliest morality plays, it's one of the earliest ones that isn't attached to some part of the liturgy. This is like its own standalone story. Interesting. It doesn't have to be like part of the mass. Yeah. Uh, it's about an hour long. It it said... Uh, what I found was that there are 82 pieces of music in it, but they have to be counting like every verse or something. Because <laughs> it's only like an hour long. Yeah. <laughs> so, here are the characters in Ordo Virtutum. You have the soul, the main female voice, the protagonist. You have all of these virtues, including humility, hope, chastity, innocence, contempt of the world, celestial love, discipline, because she scratched that one out, <laughs> <laughs> modesty, mercy, victory, discretion, patience, knowledge of God, charity, fear of God, obedience, and faith. That's a lot. It's a lot. And they all have a section where they introduce themselves, and it's long. <laughs> and here's the first half hour of the play. 
that might not be long enough. (laughs) 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 So uh, along with them is is a chorus of prophets and patriarchs. This is a male choir. A chorus of souls, which is a female choir. And the devil. My favorite part about the devil character. He does not sing. <laughs> because Hildegard said he, he can't produce divine harmony. He's the devil. So you'll be going through the play and it'll be like, you know, in Latin, obviously, but it'll be like, I am a virtue and you should be like me. And then the devil comes in and says this Latin thing. <laughs> Don't be good, be bad like me. <laughs> That sounded a little too lyrical, uh, <laughs> melodic, I guess. <laughs> but but it's along those lines. You can really tell yeah. when, when the devil's going because he's just like talking. I mean, isn't that what the tritones were for back then? For the devil? Didn't even give him that. <sighs> okay, general plot. Chorus of souls are sad because they lived life bad. And so they're in hell. Oh, no. Enter New Soul. She's like, I'm so excited to go to heaven. I'm just going to skip life. Because life is terrible. I just want to go right to heaven. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and the virtues are like, no, you got to live life so you can learn about us. And she goes and lives life. And that's when they all introduce themselves. And the <laughs> whole time, Devil's like, don't be chased because then you won't have a baby and then chastity's like but it makes me better because i love god (laughs) there was no rhyming in there it's in latin c (laughs) plus and so get to the end she's learned all about the virtues she's very sorry and repentant and she joins them and then they bind the devil and then god is happy with them and then the end cool so that is Ordo Virtutum. It is really, compared to like other Gregorian chant happening at that time, super melodic, super melismatic, hmm. very, there's, there's more to it than just getting from one chord to the other. And that was sort of a theme throughout all of her music. It's like the super earliest beginnings of Baroque. So like... Like the little bitty, bitty, tiny seed. So the first thing with her scientific work. The quality of it was very, very good. The content of it was not because it was the (laughs) Middle Ages and they thought humors were a thing. Which was very, very much the subject of these books. (laughs) So I would have really liked it back then. (laughs) They were very funny. Uh, Humors. Listen to Sawbones, humors aren't real. <laughs> anyway, uh, two major scientific books in her line of work. Uh, Physica, which was nine volumes describing, it's basically like an encyclopedia of remedies from things, like plants and fish and rocks and animals. and Remedies from rocks? Yeah, like you probably like boil a rock and water that you found behind your house that it's syphilis the the rock is the ailment yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) her most interesting work though is called cause et cure and it's more of an exploration of the human body as a whole 
and it gets wild. She has this idea called like green energy that lives in nature and flows through us. And that's what balances the humors and causes or cures disease. So that Luke, one, let the force be with you. The green energy. <laughs> <laughs> so while that was a little not right, she was one of the earliest people to put together that the human body was more of an intricate cosmos-like system rather than just like a body with like four things in it even though she was focused on the four things don't get me wrong but she you know saw how humans fit on earth and how earth fit in whatever they thought of as the universe then and figured that there must be something inside too so she thought she was a star haven't you noticed she's a star (laughs) no one will get that yay but yeah, so in her long, long life, she did a lot of stuff before her time. Her her musical compositions were heckin' good. Her science was bad, but good. Well documented. Well documented bad science. And just the fact that she was able to write it all down is huge. Yeah. Because, you know, women and nuns had been doing stuff like this for centuries, but none of them knew how to write it down in the language that, you know, higher learned people would read it. None of them? None of them. <laughs> so anyway, there's your story about Hildegard von Bingen. Very nice. So thank you guys. Just remember that we are a part of the Pocket Podcast Network, bringing quality content right to your pocket. Check out other shows on the network like Home Viewing, Simultaneous Catch is back since football's happening. Woo, sports ball. Sports ball. Time Zones Are Hard is also back streaming again, so they're great. Remember to follow us at Steampunks Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can follow me personally at Shockton underscore awesome. And thanks to the band The Crips for the use of their song Marie Curie for our intro and outro. I'm Emily. And I'm Zach. And keep flying, you beautiful, majestic, steam-powered horses. Hi, I'm John. I'm Gabe. And I'm Chris. We're three friends who went to college together. Hey, Gabe, did you know that Akira Kurosawa has a writing credit on Star Wars? I didn't know that. Good, because I made it up. I have one. The creator of the Frisbee made his ashes into a commemorative run of Frisbees. I don't believe you. That's 100% real, my dude. Them's the facts, a show about fun facts and lying to your friends. Every other Wednesday. On the Pocket Podcast Network. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.